We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. remain standing for a reading from Psalm 134. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I'm sorry about that. I, I, I left y'all standing. My bad. <laughs> well, good morning again. Um, thank you for reading God's Word. And this morning, I want us to consider this theme of God's people will make it home and we will worship and enjoy Him forever. Let me pray for us and then we'll open up God's Word together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're good and you're kind and your mercies endure forever. They are new to us this moment, this hour, this morning. And we pray that we might have eyes to see and to taste and to experience your mercy. Protect us from being a people who talk about it, who know about it. May we rest in your love and kindness and your goodness and your grace. And one of your most tantamount evidences of grace to your people comes when you speak to us. Worship is this beautiful trialogue where we speak unto you. We receive your good news and you speak to us through your word and through your servant. And so I pray that you will fill your people anew, that you will encourage us on this stretch of the journey, this day, this hour, this moment, And that we would trust that tomorrow you will give us new mercies then. Forgive us our sins. They are many. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. So have you ever had a trip that was hard, but it ended up being glorious? I need to see beauty. And every summer I need to get away out of the routine of life in Mississippi and reconnect with my children and my wife. I need to see God's hand in creation. And at the beginning of the pandemic, that was problematic. A year ago, there was no vaccine developed. Hotels were closed. And so my wife and I made the executive decision that we would rent an RV and drive to the mountains and do everything outdoors. And so we did. And that trip was difficult. And it was difficult even before we made it to the RV rental place that we thought was in Birmingham, Alabama. It was difficult on the Friday before because I went fishing with some friends and I do not have cell phone service where I fish. 
And so I did not know that the lady from the RV center called and said, Mr. McGowan, our website says that we close at noon. I mean, we close at 3 p.m. on Saturdays, but that's wrong. We actually close at noon because I did not have cell phone service. I did not listen to that message. And when I finished fishing, I did not check my voicemail. And so we went home and we packed and I got up the next morning thinking that we got all the time in the world to make it to Birmingham, Alabama. And then I listened to the voicemail as we're leaving Jackson, Mississippi, an hour late. Mr. McGowan, the RV center closes at 12 and it's nine o'clock and the trip from Jackson to Birmingham is about four hours. And I did not gas up the night before because I thought we had more time. And so we're driving to what we think is Birmingham, Alabama. And then I call the lady and I tell her, ma'am, I just got your voicemail. We're going to be at least an hour late. And at first she tells me, well, sir, it's nothing I can do about it because we closed. Well, can we get it tomorrow? No, we're not open on Sunday. So that means I have to wait to Monday and there are no RVs available Monday. And so now we're panicking. And I said, ma'am, can you please wait? And she says, I will. And then we discover that the RV Center is a, is a lot like the San Francisco premium outlets. They're not in San Francisco, <laughs> right? We went there yesterday. They're in Livermore, California. <laughs> this RV Center advertises Birmingham, Alabama, but it's in Anniston, Alabama, which is 45 minutes on the other side of Birmingham. So we're going to be really late. And she waits on us. And then we pull up and we see two RVs and we all thinking the same thing. We hope that that's not our RV. <laughs> and they were not. We had a brand new one sitting on the, the back parking lot that we couldn't see. And she just was gracious and accommodating. And then driving this big RV, we've never driven an RV. And so the gas mileage is horrendous. And keeping this thing on the road, it is the most un-aerodynamically piece of machinery designed. And so we're fighting this thing to keep it on the road. And because we left late, we ended up stopping to see family in Charlotte. We parked our RV in their driveway. We're quarantining and we're keeping social distance. And we leave the next day and drive to the mountains. And we get there at night because we stayed too long visiting family. And then we pulled into the RV park and we've never been in an RV park. And I didn't know that you have to hook up to water and hook up to electricity. And then you have to drain the waste that had been accruing for two days. And it was a disaster that first night. <laughs> I had to leave clothes outside. And then the morning hit. And we saw the mountains and children outside running and playing and a river flowing right between our campsite. And all of the memories of the journey receded to the back of our minds. That view right there, that moment, it was worth it. We made it. You know that this is an analogy of life. Life is a journey and we have a destination that is beautiful. If you name the name of Jesus, 
He has a place and a kingdom and a new city that awaits you. And it's better than California weather. It's more beautiful than driving down Highway 1. And the good news is that if you name the name of Christ, you'll make it. But the journey there is oftentimes difficult. Twists and turns and setbacks and frustrations. And the Psalms help us see that. Psalm 134, if you look at the beginning, look at the first line above, come bless the Lord with me. It's this phrase, a song of ascents. That's actually in your Bibles. So Psalm 120 through Psalm 134 is what we call the Psalms of ascents. These are the Psalms that we, we believe the pilgrims who lived all over Ancient, the ancient Near East, that wherever they lived, if you name the name of Yahweh, you had to make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to Zion, to the city of God three times a year for his appointed feast. And we believe these Psalms, 120 through Psalm 134, were the, that was the soundtrack. If you were making a trip and you were Jewish and you were going to Jerusalem, what would you have on your iPod? What would you have in your MP3 file? What music would you be listening to? What would be the radio station? It would be these songs, reminding you that you're on a journey. And so what do we know about the Psalms? They begin with the psalmist remembering that he's in a land of lies. He is for peace, but he longs to be in the city of God with God's people. You ever experienced longing? The journey was dangerous. They said our feet had almost slipped, had almost slipped, that there was danger on the outside. There were those who wanted to persecute them and torment them. There was also danger on the inside, their own sin and their own pride. You ever felt that? Well, this world, as beautiful as it is, it's not your home. There's an ache and a longing for the city whose builder and maker is God. Have you not felt the injustice and the sin and the oppression and the sadness and sorrow and affliction of living on this side of glory? Yes. Have you ever experienced the danger of your own sin? Yes. Do you ever experience doubts? Will I make it home? Will it be beautiful? Yes. And what Psalm 34 is, it's the final psalm in the book of the ascents. And it's there to tell you and I, we will make it home. And it will be beautiful. And the cares of this world and the setbacks and the frustrations and the hardships, they will recede into the background. And every day in eternity, will be better than the previous day. Here's what I want to tell you. You're going to make it home. I want to tell you that the reason you'll make it home is because the maker of heaven and earth is on your side. And the proper and fitting response is worship.
is worship. First, I want to show you that you will make it home. Now, I know on the surface, on Psalm 134, there's nothing about home, right? So I'm making this decision for two reasons. One, this is the book end to the Psalm of Ascents. This is the destination. But I'm also making this decision exegetically. I'm going to put this question before you. Notice how it begins. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Here's the question. Who are the servants of the Lord who stand by night, day and night in the house of the Lord? Who are they? Who's the original audience here? It's the tribe of Levi. It's the Levitical priest. Deuteronomy 10 says, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him and to bless his name to this day. First Chronicles 9, the Levites were in the chambers of the temple, free from other services, for they were on duty day and night, and these lived in Jerusalem. First Chronicles 23, these were the sons of Levi by their father's houses for their duty was to assist the sons of Aaron for the service of the house of the Lord, having the care of the courts and the chambers, the cleansing of all that is holy and any work for the service of the house of the Lord. In other words, this summons right here to bless the Lord, it's for the Levites, those who stand in his temple day and night. And so I think this psalm is actually written perhaps by the high priest to the Levites. He's like Phil Jackson of the Bulls when Jordan was there and it's game seven or game six. And he summons the players to him. Get ready. It's game time. It's crunch time. Go out and do what you've been practicing. I think that's the context that the high priest is summoning the Levites and the priests. It's game time. All that you've been waiting for, all that you've been praying for, the prayers that you've been praying for the pilgrims as they have been journeying here, all the, the sharpening of your knives, everything that you've been doing to prepare for the worship of the Lord, it's game time because the pilgrims have made it. Now, we know that the, the, the priests, they serve God. Who else do they serve, beloved? They serve God's people. They stand in the gap to make intercession for the people, to offer prayers for the people, to make sacrifice for the people. I think what we're seeing here is the tens of thousands of pilgrims have made it. And the high priest summons the priest. You be the lead worshipers as you lead the people who have made it here safely in the worship of their God. What does this mean for you and I this morning? It means right now there's a parallel reality that's going on and you can't see it with these eyes but with the eyes of faith that's rooted in God's word you know what Jesus tells you 
He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, a home. And there is no weeping there, and there is no sorrow there, and there is no sin there. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm not going to leave you here forever. I'm going to come back for you, that you might be where I am forever. You have to have the book of Revelation that tells us right now that there are angels and archangels and seraphim and cherubim and elders and creatures that that Revelation is reaching for words to try to describe. And what they're telling you is happening right here and right now is that they are falling on their faces in the worship of God. And here's the thing. We have a priest, but it's not the Levitical priest. We have priests there, and his name is King Jesus, who is the high priest. And he is not slaughtering goats and bulls. He is not sharpening a knife to prepare for the worship of the Lord. He is offering himself. And all of them, the angels, the archangels, the seraphim, the cherubim, the creatures, the elders, and Jesus right now, They're waiting for you. And they're cheering you on. And they're saying, you will make it out of the tribulation. I don't know about you, but I need to hear that. Because sometimes I don't believe that. I forget that my Savior is preparing a home for me. And you may have had setbacks. You may have not had the best father, the best mother, the best friends. You may be suffering with cancer or COVID or abandonment. People may have treated you wrong or you may be suffering the consequences of your own sin. But if the gospel is really the gospel, then what Jesus says to you is that those things are not periods. You're going to make it home. And one day the shades of this world will be rolled back. And you will enter into the joy of your master. You will make it home if you name the name of Jesus. Now, here's a question. Why? How can I definitively tell you that no matter how hard it gets, how rough it is, that you will make it home? Here's the wrong answer. It's not going to be because you were a good navigator. It's not going to be because you never fell asleep behind the wheel of life. It's not going to be because you and your infinite wisdom made all the right decisions. It's not because you held on to God, right? It's not any of that. If the gospel is good news, then the reason you will make it home is because God will not lose you. The maker of heaven and earth is on your side. And that's a big deal. Now, that phrase you see in verse three, the maker of heaven and earth. This isn't the only time in the Psalms of ascent that you see it. 
You see it in two other Psalms prior to this. And so what that means is when you see it in the final song, that's something about God's character, something about his identity, something about his person, that, that, that it's resounding so much so that it comes at the end, the beginning, and the middle. It's this idea that he's the maker of heaven and earth. This is a big deal because in the times when the Psalms were written, people around Israel were polytheistic. Go back and read Exodus. You'll get a picture of it. There were gods for land, gods for fertility, gods of water, gods of night, gods of day, gods of sun, gods of life, gods of death. And what Yahweh was doing was showing that they are not true gods. I'm the one true God. I'm the king of this hill, not Pharaoh. There were geographical gods. If you lived over here, you worship this God. And if you traveled over here, then you had to not only offer something here for this God, but when you went into this new territory, you also had to appease this deity. What God told Israel, that's trash. From the opening book of the Bible, I'm the maker of heaven and earth. And this is what we call mirrorism in, in Hebrew literature. It's when you use two things that are, are spatially apart to communicate the beginning and the end and all in the middle. Now, we use that, right? If you lose your cell phone, you might tell your wife, honey, I looked high and low, no, high and low for my cell phone. You're not just saying you looked at the top of the bookshelf and under a couch. What you're really saying is I've looked everywhere. In the South, we have a phrase, we will eat a pig from the Rudy to the Tootie, right? <laughs> it means like the snout and the tail, and the feet, and the intestines, and the ears, right? Right? <laughs> so, chitlins, you know what I'm talking about. Chitlins, you're right. When the psalmist says that he's the maker of heaven and earth, it's mirrorism. Here's what God is really saying from the highest galaxies that you can see on a Hubble telescope to the things light years beyond that, to the depths of the earth and places still unexplored and the bowels of the ocean. I made that and everything in between, including me and you, things seen and things unseen. That's the power that's on display in this song. Now the question that we have to wrestle with is what does the Bible say that a God who is that powerful, what will he do with his power? Will he abuse it like bad leaders? or something peculiar and different about him. Here is what we see that God does with his power in the Psalms of Ascents. Here's one thing, he wills his power for your provision on your journey home, and he wills his power for your protection on your journey home. 
provision. Now, let, let's, let's stop and think about it. The three pilgrim feasts were Passover, the Feast of Weeks, which was renamed Pentecost, and the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. That these were the three pilgrim, the feast that if you were Jewish, you had to make the pilgrimage. Now, here's the thing. All of those feasts all come on the heels of a harvest. Passover came on the heels of the barley harvest. The second feast, the Feast of Weeks, came on the heels of the wheat harvest, which was a later harvested crop. And the final feast was the feast of ingathering of all remaining crops. In other words, when they made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, guess what? They never went empty handed. There was a harvest. You take portion of your harvest and you bring it to Israel and you lay it at the feet of the Levites who did not have land because the Lord was their portion and they took what you gave them. They lived off of that and some of that they put in the storehouse. So every single time Israel made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, guess what? They were always making it with grain, always making it with wine, always making it with corn, always making it with wheat, always making it with barley. In other words, it was a tactile reminder every time you made the journey. Haven't I been faithful? Do you not have crops? I'm the God of make, uh, I'm the maker of heaven and earth. I tell the rain to come and I tell your crops to grow. It is not because you are a good farmer. I'm benevolent, bene benevolent. You get it? It's his provision. And it's not just material. What does Passover point us to on a deeper level? that God will pass over your sin on the account of a sacrifice of, or of another and you will be made righteous in his sight through, through the righteousness of Jesus and his substitutionary atonement. So you hear what God is saying? I'm gonna provide your needs and give you some wants. I'm going to give you food and the manna of heaven. I'm going to give you crops and I'm going to care for your soul. Here is what God does with his power, beloved. He wills it to give you all that you need. And it's also for protection. In Psalm 121, when describing the dangerous trek of the journey, he says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let our foot be moved. He who keeps you does not slumber. He who keeps you does not sleep. Psalm 124, our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. If he had not been on our side, they would have swallowed us alive. The Lord has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare. Do you see what that means? 
When he says maker of heaven and earth, what God is really saying is, I'm going to give you your needs, your wants, your food, your salvation, and protection. You're safe. Because no one is stronger than me. I'm above all things. This is what it meant for them. What does this mean for us? All of these things crescendo in the person of Jesus, doesn't it? Does Jesus not say to you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or drink or wear? Consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin. Consider the birds of the heavens. They neither sow nor reap. Consider the grass of the field, which today is alive, and in, in their day, it became what they used to cook their food. It went into the oven. What Jesus says is you don't see deep freezers hung in these giant oak trees because birds are storing up crops for three years. He says, if your father who loves the birds feeds them, how much more do you think he'll feed you? You may not have all you want. I love that you prayed against covetousness and being content with what you have because God is generous to you. And what about salvation? I think this is why Paul would say that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. This is why Jesus himself says, no one can snatch you out of my hands because no one is stronger than me and no one is over my father. And so you're triply protected by the spirit, by the son, by the father, because no one is greater than them. And so for a believer, if you name the name of Christ, that nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, not things present, not things to come, not angels, not demons, not hypes, not depths, nothing in all of creation. You are safe and you will make it home. And it's not because you've been a savvy navigator of life. It's because the maker of heaven and earth is on your side. I think our thoughts about Jesus are just too small. And there's a phrase in every moment, holy, that I love. And it says, our thoughts of you, O Lord, have been too small. Christ, you are king of snow, maker of weather, king of sunlight, king of storms, king of gray skies, kings of rain, king of autumn and spring. And our thoughts of you are still too small. You are king of harvest, king of grain, king of wine, king of canyons, lord of gravity, lord of atoms, lord of electrons, king of constellations. Lord of Nova's exploding, Lord of speeding light, high king of the highest galaxies, and still our thoughts of you are still too small. You are a God of justice, God of wisdom, God of mercy, God of redemption. You are the Lord of love, and still our thoughts of you are still too small. You were before all things, you created all things, and in you all things are held together. You are Lord of Lord, kings of kings, Oh, Jesus Christ, you are everything and are still our thoughts of you are still too small. 
How big is your Jesus? How big is your God? If he is maker of heaven and earth, your thoughts of him are still too small. He is on your side. You will make it home because of him. How do we respond to this? Worship. That's why we gather every Sunday to give honor and praise to him. And maybe you're here this morning and you're like C.S. Lewis. Before C.S. Lewis was converted, here's what he writes. He says, when I first began to draw near to God in belief, I found a stumbling block. The stumbling block was made by all religious people that says that we should praise God. Still more in the suggestion that God himself demanded it. We all despise the man or woman who demands continual praise, who demands continued assurance of his own virtue, intelligence, or delightfulness. We despise the crowd that, 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 that gather around every dictator, every millionaire, every celebrity who gratify their every demand. The Psalms were especially troublesome to me in this way. Praise the Lord or praise the Lord with me. Praise him. And why incidentally did praising God so often consists in telling other people to praise him, even telling the whales and the snowstorms to go on doing what they would certainly do whether or not we told them to. C.S. Lewis says, I had a problem with that. What is with this praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, you stars, praise God, you whales, praise God, you people, praise God. He says, if any other person did that, we would think that they were foolish and pompous and arrogant. But what happens when God is the one who demands worship? It's a different thing. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, we praise all the time. We praise the weather. We praise that good movie. We praise that best. One of the first things we did when we were coming back out is, Brent, tell us where to eat. Right. And I got a laundry list of things where Brent and Katie love to eat. That is Brent giving praise to good chefs. We have a baby and we post a picture of our baby on Instagram because we want the world to see this baby. Right. C.S. Lewis goes on to say that we're a praising people. We do this all the time. And the question becomes, What's the object of our praise and worship? And what this psalm does for us is it reminds you and I, he's worthy because he's the maker of heaven and earth, because he protects you, because he provides, because he is preparing a place for you. You know, if you search for all the imperatives in the book of Revelation, you might be amazed to find that there is only one imperative command to worship. 
and it's in Revelation 19.10. John seeing an angel is tempted to worship the angel, but the angel says, you must not do that, for I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus, worship God. That's the only time in the book of Revelation where worship is commanded. This means that all the other times you see worship, In Revelation 4, where the living creatures around the throne worship God because he's the maker of heaven and earth, it's uncoerced. It's the proper and fitting response to who God is. And yet this psalm says three times, come bless the Lord, lift your hands to the Lord, bless the Lord. Why the command? Because on this side of eternity, we need to be prompted. We need to be reminded. We need to be encouraged. But I'm telling you, a day is coming, beloved, when you won't have to be commanded. You will want to. Out of the deepest parts of who you are. And it will be food for your soul. And you will bow the knee uncoerced. And what we get to do right here and now is to taste these treasures and to lift our hands and lift our hearts and give honor and fame and glory to God on this day because he's going to make sure you make it home. He's going to bless you now and forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, our thoughts of you are still too small. Help us this day, this hour, to behold your majesty, your beauty, your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your long-suffering, your patience, your kindness, your benevolence. Help us, Lord, to see by faith that the God of heaven and earth is ours and we are his and that you are giving us all that we need for a life here and for godliness and a future with you forever. Make us, Lord, people who delight and desire to fall on our faces in worship and reverence for all that you are and all that you are doing and all that you will do for your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.